There we go. Hey podcast, today I'm back chatting to Craig Williams. So it was actually February last year that I got Craig on the first time, and which has flown by and I would have never guessed last February that we'd be talking under the circumstances we are uh, that we're talking about today. So we promised a part two last time and for whatever reason this podcast has just started sort of rising through the ranks again and I've been getting more and more emails asking whereabouts part two was. So when I got an email, I think it was last Friday from a follower, this was probably follower 52 to asking for part two I thought right I've got to make this happen so I messaged Craig and here we are so what I would recommend is if you've not listened to part one you should go back and listen to that episode before this so it was February last year I think from memory it's about episode eight something like that so if you just scroll back through the podcast and then if you have a listen to that first that'll kind of give you a big insight on who Craig is and his past he's got a fascinating story he was an ex-Royal Marine and um, and then he actually ended up going to jail for attempted murder and if that's not an interesting hook enough for you to listen to the first episode, I don't know what in. Um, but he also talked quite candidly about his mental health and about struggling with nearly pretty much an attempt at suicide, essentially. So this second episode will bring you much more value and will make much more sense if you go back and listen to episode one first. So I definitely recommend you do that now. It's 50 minutes long and then come back to this second episode. Um, but Craig, thanks for taking the time to come back on. Yeah, thanks for having me. And and I'm, I'm really grateful of the uh, of the response. You know, I didn't know what kind of response you'd have, so it's um, it's nice to know that you're kind of sharing a story and and putting a few things out there, and it's been received well. So uh, yeah, thanks for that. Thanks to the whole audience for accepting me into your little world. <laughs> well, I think uh, a lot. World, I think I think like like biking, cycling, mountain biking is just it's just gone nuts hasn't it so oh, it's uh, exploded i think uh yeah the biking world's a bit you don't cycle at all do you and obviously mad into your running but you're not really i've got i've got two but i've got to do some cycling a friend of mine is going for the um the fastest known time uh john O'Groats. no lands to john O'Groats on a bike okay. on, a, on a road bike so he's um like i think he's around 54 minutes 54 hours he's going for non-stop non-stop so uh wow. and I'm, oh I'm my word him. Yeah, yeah, I, I'm supporting him as the got a grip. You know what I mean? The, the he's got <laughs> some good people around him, and he's just he says, "I want someone who know you know that can that can push me when it gets tough." And you know, so uh, I'm going as that. He's not going to he's not going to sleep at all for that length of time. Is that right? He, he's not planning on sleeping. Yeah, yeah, he's not he's not planning on sleeping. So um, yeah, we'll see, we'll see how he goes. It'll be quite funny. <laughs> <laughs> that is a good effort i'll definitely when he's done it you'll have to put him in touch with me he sounds like he'd be amazing 100%, well even even before you know he's a good guy i was in the marines with him and um yeah yeah even before you know it'll be more than chuffed to get on and, and have a chat oh definitely well uh i'll make a note and we'll take your details down afterwards um yeah. so anyway what we were about to say there yeah yeah carry do, on i've got to do a bit of cycling i've got you know and the idea of cycling on the road I just don't think I can go through life pissing that many people off, you know. <laughs> I can't. So I think what I'll be doing is I'll be dragging out the mountain bike, and I had it serviced, uh, like you know, just after the um, just after the the lockdown. So I'll be dragging that out, and and you know, getting out on some of the trails and stuff. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Oh, but well, you did good getting the bike serviced at the beginning because it has gone mental. I think in April, bike sales were up six hundred percent. 
um, in the month of April to the prior April, which is normally like a very busy time of year anyway. So it's just like crazy. It's a really good thing, but you know, it's mental as well. So bike shops everywhere now are completely out of stock. Like, you know, you'd be lucky to get a bike. I think people are putting in orders now for bikes that they can collect next July. Like it's just mental at the minute. So keep hold of your bike or you could probably sell it yeah. for a three times profit. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, th- I thought in this episode, um, I know we've obviously had a chat already, but I thought it'd be really nice to chat about last time we left off, you'd just done the Marathon de Sable or chatted about the Marathon de Sable. So I know you've got a few more mental events that you've done. So I thought it'd be really nice to start with those. And then we said we we're going to talk about grit. You've got a grit acronym, which I remember from last time, but I know we're going to go into detail on that. We promised the listeners that we chat about it and they've still, uh, they've had to wait 18 months for it. So it'd be worth it. <laughs> and then the other side, which will probably help throughout the whole podcast, but obviously there'll be a lot of people listening to this podcast who are probably suffering with the mental health at the minute with everything that's gone over the last six months. Cause people have been locked in, you know, a lot of people are feeling anxious to go outside and to go to the shops and to get out on the bikes. And I thought particularly because you've been to the lowest lows with your mental health and you know what it's like to struggle I, I thought in some kind of way I'm sure you can bring the audience a lot of value who might be struggling with that side of things at the minute and help with kind of your unique take on steps they can take at the moment to look after the mental health and to get through whatever sort of dark time they're in at the moment so I thought maybe throughout the podcast maybe at the end we could chat a little bit about that as well if that's all right with you yeah yeah definitely yeah up for that so to begin with, let's talk about Peru. So I don't know anything to ask you about this, so you can go for it and I'll ask as we go. So tell us what was the event? How did it come about? Tell us all about it. Yeah, so a natural progression really for anyone that does the Marathon de Sables is this, you know, it is it's it's banded around as the toughest foot race in the in the world. And then when you get on there and you start chatting to people and you see like just how commercial it is, you know what I mean, and the fact that there's there's checkpoints. You know, there's always people around you. You know, the chance of something going wrong is just very slim. And you start chatting to people, you soon realize that this is actually just the start of a load of really, really crazy events of similar ilk. You know what I mean? And and so as you start looking around, you're like, bloody hell, you know, there's all these different environments that you can do these races in and these challenges. And um, for, for me, I don't know if that's I'm, – I'm allowed enough. I don't know if you can – I can hear you fine. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, so I got, I got, I met a group of people that was uh, that was on the MDS, ended up doing the MDS, and then they decided they were going to go and do this this other ultra called the Jungle Ultra in the Amazon. So basically, running running through the Amazon base uh, basin in Peru. Um, now, when in my time in the Marines as a soldier, I, I just loved the jungle. I loved everything about it. I loved the, the creepy crawlies. I loved the animals. I loved you know the the, the terrain. You know, waking up with a leech on you. I, I just love the idea of that. You know, I know some people are like what? Um, yeah, me you know, one. <laughs> yeah, I just, I just love it. Um, I remember, I remember when I was in the Marines. Little, little sidetrack. I remember we was in an ambush um, for about twenty-four hours, and and I remember sort of just sort of waking up a little bit. You're working in pairs, sort of. You know, uh, it was a training exercise. One of you would rest whilst the other one stayed awake and all this. And I remember like going, you know. Listeners can't do this, but, you know, I remember, like, sucking my bottom lip going, oh, what is that? What is that? And then, as I think, I had a leech stuck to my lip. <laughs> oh, <laughs> nice. Leech. Anyway, I, but I loved it. I absolutely loved it. And um, why, why did you love that? Sorry to take you off on a tangent. Well, I've always I've always been mad on on nature and wildlife and animals, amphibious snakes, reptiles. You know what I mean? I just I just love it. And um, the, the thing about the jungle is, like, 
you know, it, there's just stuff everywhere. You know, every, every leaf, there's, there'll be some, you know, and you know, big spiders. And yeah, it's just an incredible place, incredible place to be. I don't know why, but it's of all the different environments in the world, that the jungle would be or is my number one sort of environment to be in. Um, wow. So, yeah, the, 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 the thought of like running through the Amazon, at first I thought, wow, what an incredible place. You know, and then you start thinking, actually, everything in the jungle is designed to either scratch you, bite you, bloody strangle you. You know what I mean? Everything wants to hurt you. It's got to do because it's such, you know, it's such like an aggressive place to be. And then you've got the heat, the altitude, you know, the, the conditions and all that. And then, and it's actually a serious race. Now, after the MDS, obviously, you know, I was in the process of, of uh, getting my, my business up and running and all that kind of stuff. And, and like I did before, you know, that preparation really took a bit of a, took a bit of a, like a, like a, like a backward step. You know, there was so many other priorities to sort of focus on and, and all this kind of stuff. We moved um, basically, you know, where my, my business model is, we have a big country manor house and then people come and stay with us for any length of time and, and get fit and lose weight. And um, we had to move house. So, you know, and it's not, you know, everyone's probably moved house, three or four bedrooms or whatever it is, two bedrooms, whatever it is. Well, this was one 13 bedroom house into a 15 bedroom house, you know, and Paula, my wife being my wife, decided that we was going to do it all in one day. So it was just like, you know, and it's just, it was just ridiculous. So all this was going on and, and training kind of went out the window. So I, I kind of set my mind on just going and enjoying it. You know, I thought I'll just go and enjoy the jungle. I'll just, I'm, I'm not, I'm not out to, to compete in any way. I just want to complete it and just enjoy the experience. Um, so I went out heavy, you know, blobby. I was carrying about probably at least a stone and a half more than I should, than I should have been. You know, I look at some of the pictures now and I'm like, you fat get. Um, but <laughs> I thought, you know, I'll, I'll go and do it and I'll rely on the fact that I know the environment, the fact that. I can turn myself around at the end of each day and um, and I'll just go and enjoy it. The format of the race is 200, I think it's just over 200 kilometres over five days um, through the jungle. Now, the best way to describe the jungle to anyone that's not been to a jungle environment is imagine, imagine the mountains of like Wales or Scotland, but covered in trees and then turn the temperature right up, you know, and the humidity. And, and that's kind of what it is. But you've got really tough terrain and you've got really tough conditions. Um, yeah. So, and it's, it, you're sort of self-sufficient uh, through that environment. So, so that was it. What um, sort of, uh, what sort of temperatures is it? Um, it was up to like 40, oh, 45 degrees. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's quite warm. Um, the first couple of days you start up in the mountains in, in Peru. Uh, about two hours north of Cusco. And then the first couple of days, you're basically making your way down them. So you're at altitude as well. Uh, you're making your way down the mountains into the sort of Amazon um, Amazon jungle, you know, in the, in the valley floor. And then things kind of, well, they don't so much flatten out because you've still got peaks and troughs and hills and valleys and, and all that kind of stuff. But you're not descending as much as you are in the first couple of days. Um it's, on average, it's just under a marathon a day until you get to the last day and you cover about 95 kilometers um, on your last day. And uh, yeah, so that's, so that's kind of double marathon, is it? That's like two yeah, marathons, yeah, is it? A bit more than two? 
yeah, the way a lot of these events run is they'll you'll do roughly a marathon a day and then up to about day three or day four. And then you, you usually have like a double marathon stage and then you right. have a rest day. Um, for right. this one, it was, there is no rest day. You know, <laughs> you're just doing a double marathon and that's you, that's you finished. Um, so yeah, that, that's kind of the format. Uh, there was about probably 40 people doing the, doing the race, I think. Um, I had like half a dozen friends that were out there. Um, and was all set, you know, to go and do it. Uh, I got out, anyone that's been to Cusco in Peru near the, um, what's it called? The bloody big, ah, like the monuments and that up in the mountains. Not Machu Picchu, is Machu Picchu, it? Machu Picchu, yeah. It's near Machu Picchu. Okay. You, know, you go trips out there. Anyway, it's at altitude. Um, so I landed in, in Cusco, which is the, the major city where you kind of all meet up. And straight away, I just, I just didn't feel right. I felt... I remember walking across like a like a big cobbled square and, and I just felt like the floor was like moving like a, like a magic carpet. And I was like, this is just don't feel right. And um, it was the start of what turned out to be altitude sickness, um, oh, right. which I'd never had before. You know, I'd been, I'd been at much greater altitudes uh, in the Himalayas. I'd been at, you know, in the foothills of the Himalayas in Afghanistan and, and on the Pakistani border. And, and it just, you know, I'd never had this altitude sickness before. So I had a screaming headache. I felt nauseous. I felt like the floor was moving. And most people that was doing the race went out to get something to eat and to start hydrating, buy a few bits that they'd forgotten and stuff. And, and I just had to go to bed. And I basically slept in the hotel as best I could for about 12 hours. Um, and then the next day, we was, we was due to meet up with a transport that was going to take us to the start line. And in the transport, we was going to climb another 1,000 feet. So... We was going even higher. So the idea of that, I was just like, I don't know how I'm gonna, don't know how I'm gonna get through this. You know what I mean? But yeah, yeah. And, and and I think the biggest biggest point, you know, biggest point to to stress to start with for anybody listening to this is there's a rule in business. The number one rule in business is stay in business. Okay, it's a, it's the number one rule. You know, and it's exactly the same in any kind of endurance sport, any kind of race or anything like that. Is the number one rule is just stay in it. So despite feeling ill. Um, I was actually sharing a room with a, a GP. If people listen to the um, the MDS story, I, I might have told the story of when my friend, the GP, basically just fobbed me off at this checkpoint when I was feeling really ill. Uh, well, I was sharing a room with him again, and he did exactly the same. He was like, oh, you'll be all right. You know, <laughs> get, get some paracetamol and you'll be fine. What friends um, are for. I know, exactly. <laughs> yeah. um, so anyway, we went we went off and um, got in the transport. And, and I was starting to come around a little bit. I managed to eat a bit of something and, and I you know, kept on my hydration. Um, and it was up the typical road. You know, you've seen in the films and that way. Oh, big stick. You know, yeah, yeah. And you're like, we're going any minute, you know. And um, <laughs> so we made our way up to a weather station at the top of this mountain. And uh, the, the race organizer had said, it never rains here. It's weird. It's just got its own little ecosystem where it never rains. Um, so it rained 24 hours solid. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and, and everything, all our kit, everything was just just, just piss wet through, you know, uh, before we even started. Our feet was wet. I'd, I'd taken these, like, I travelled out in these, like, level, these, like, leather loafer type shoe things. And, and they were just, they were starting to go mouldy already because of the heat and the, the moisture. And, you know, it was just a mess before we even started. Every, every, we spent the whole the whole time in hammocks um with like a tarpaulin over the top and 
you know, rain was getting in and we were just wet, cold, you know, at altitude in the mountains in Peru right from the start. Um, but I just thought, look, I'm, I'm just going to, I need to get to the start line. That, that's the next thing to do. And then the first 10 kilometers was pretty much on this track before we came to this really bizarre wooden gate that was like the doorway to the jungle. It's hard to describe and it's, you know, you've got to, ex- you've got to experience it, but you basically went through this wooden gate and then, he was into the into the jungle. It was bizarre. Um, unless I was hallucinating, I don't know. But um, but yeah, that's what it was. So you're into the jungle and you're working your way down through the jungle. So I thought at least for the first ten k, I've just I've just got to I've just got to you know stay in there, go nice and steady, and let's let's just let's just get off this hill, you know. So what's it like underfoot? So sorry, yeah. is the path like smooth or is it like almost like hiking up a mountain or are you having to hack through the jungle? Like what's it actually like? There was, there was, there were a couple of times when we had to hack through stuff. I mean, you, 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 we didn't have like a machete or anything like that, but you kind of had to crawl through stuff. But that was usually where a large tree or some vegetation had fallen, and you had to kind of okay. get through it. But what happens is that the local, um, some of the local sort of tribes out there, they clear the path every year, you know, and they basically right, hang okay. up. it's a peak ribbon. So there is, there is a path. In some places, you're on like logging tracks. Some places, you're on an actual like, you know. They call it a road, but we would we would call it a bloody moorland, you know, a farm track. Um, okay. All different stuff, and sometimes you kind of up little little trails, uphill, downhill. You know, the, the terrain is pretty extreme, and it is a real a real mix. And there's also times when you're sort of chest deep in swamps, you know, which is pretty eerie. As things, you know, like in Star Wars, where they're in oh, the yeah, but... trash compactor, <laughs> and you've got little things like. <laughs> You know, person the person in water. front of you goes under. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're like, so uh, yeah, just. But I thrived on that. I loved that. You know, and some people freaked out by it, but you know that I loved that. Um, yeah, all sorts of different terrain. Um, so the morning of the race, I was starting to feel a little bit better, but still a little bit queasy. Um, and I remember, I remember being on the start line and listening to people around me, and, and everybody. I could hear everybody saying, you know what, I'm just going to take it easy today. Everybody was saying it. I'm just going to take it easy today. I'm just going to take it easy. Oh, yeah, first couple of days, just going to take it easy. And in my head, I thought, well, if everybody's taking it easy, maybe my opportunity is to just fucking <laughs> leg it. You know what I mean? And just, just <laughs> smash it. And, you know, thinking about it now, I'm thinking, you idiot. But I just came up with this plan in my head that I was just going to, I was just going to go for it. And, you know, I was under train. I was feeling sick. I was feeling ill. In my head, I was thinking, I've just got to get off this hill as quick as I can because I, I'm just not right, you know. Um, and then it was like three, two, one, go. And I didn't exactly sprint off, but I certainly went faster than I should have done, you know, and all the way down this track. And, and actually, after about five or six kilometers, I started to settle down. And and I was in, I was in like fourth or fifth place. You know, and I was like, yeah, I'm doing all right. Yeah, I'm, I'm actually, I'm in the, I know it's early days, but I'm in the race and let's see, you know, let, let's, let's see how things go. So I kind of settled down a little bit. Then we was into the jungle and you kind of lose track of time because vegetation is so close. You know, it's like if, if people have been mountain biking at nighttime and you've, okay, all yeah. you've got is your beam of light. Yeah, yeah. And that becomes your yeah. world, doesn't it? That beam of light, you, you know, you don't see anything else around you. And, you know, yeah. you kind of lose track of time sometimes. And it's exactly the same when the vegetation closes in. And um, so away, away we went. And uh, I think I finished the first day in like 
sixth or seventh place. And um, I thought, oh, this is brilliant. I'm in, I'm in the race. But it had definitely taken its toll. And, um, you know, I was feeling, feeling sick, not not through um, altitude this time, but through, you know, lack of nutrition, low blood sugar, you know, exhaustion um, and all this kind of stuff. Uh, but I was still I was still doing great. So, I, you know, I, I ate whatever I could, um, plenty of water, sort my feet out, which were pretty, pretty battered. And... Um, and then kind of got ready for the for the next day. Um, and that was the pattern, really, for the first two or three days. And, um, you know, si- you know, similar kind of thing, the first, first couple of three, day- um, three days. I've actually got, there's a few little videos on my YouTube channel if people want to, I did like little 30-second snippets. So if they want to see that, I can give you the link and okay. have a look. Yeah, um, that'd be cool. You, uh, we'll put that in, definitely. Amazing. And then there's, there's like, you know, the, I saw monkeys, you know, I was running along, there'd be monkeys in the, in the, uh, in the trees. Um, I never saw, I never saw a live snake, but then, you know, snakes, you, you pass more than you ever see in, in the jungle. You right. Know? Okay. Um, some people on the race were stalked by a jaguar. Uh, Whoa. One time. Yeah. Which is a serious, like a, it's got the, the hardest bite of any, of any cat, the jaguar by all accounts, it crushes like alligators or crocodiles heads. You know, so what did um, they do? Just keep running, or presumably that's the worst thing to do, is it? Well, they, they say that once once you see the jaguar, it's too late. Like, and <laughs> so, <laughs> but um, yeah, they just they, the story goes. It wasn't me; it was a couple of others. But the story goes that they could just hear like a low, like like not like a, not like a growl or anything like that, but just like a like a like a rumbling. You know what I mean? Like a well, I know you're going to try and do the dive. Yeah, but, yeah. Um, you know, and it, and it was it was stalking them like, and uh, and apparently it was confirmed by some of the locals later on. Um, well, you see, loads, you know, macaws flying around. It was just it was just just incredible. Um, there was one time when I, I brushed against a tree, and uh, I bloody I could feel like loads of biting and stuff on my elbow. And I looked down, and I had a like a like a spider's nest on my on my elbow, and they were all biting at my skin. Um, oh so I had to my get, get my elbow into like a into a puddle and, and get all the spiders off. Uh, every time you stopped, there were just mosquitoes all around you, biting you, and you could see like leeches on the floor, bloody crawling towards you. You know what I mean? But, <laughs> um, but I did love it. I did love that. So first couple of days was was pretty pretty uneventful. The usual stuff, like you know, you, you got. To, pull some toenails out and you've got like, your kits rubbing um, uh, and all that kind of stuff. But the, the, the time where I really, really was facing it was day four. Day four is called the lull. And um, it's actually one of the shortest stages of any ultra race in the world. Uh, I think it's about, it's about 25K or something like that, if I remember rightly. But it is renowned as being one of the hardest. And I think what makes it, one of the hardest is because it's so short, you underestimate the distance. So you think, fuck it, I'll just leg it. Um, okay. But it's completely undulating. And it's one of these stages where you're you're running along logging tracks. So there's like deep ruts on either side of the track. And and you, so as you run through them, some of these puddles are up to your, up to your chest and you're fighting through yeah. that. And you're up and down and up and down. It's raining. So you for every step you're taking, you, you, you know, you're slipping back. Um, okay. And it, it was really tough. And I remember, I remember sort of, motoring through the through the jungle along the track and um really starting to feel unwell and um and 
knowing that this is this is like the onset of heat exhaustion i couldn't keep anything down i was trying to take like hydration tablets and um and like energy you know energy like shot blocks the cliff the cliff bar, like shot blocks things and i was just i was just coughing them up and trying to eat them again and coughing it i just weren't going down and nothing was nothing was going down and uh, and i just thought right i've got to i'm gonna have to i'm gonna have to stop and, and cool off and, and try and get something so I, I sat down um which was horrendous because all the all the mosquitoes and everything just started, you know, attacking, like biting you and stuff like this. And yeah. um, I made up like a a tailwind. Used tra- tailwind in in the in the mountain biking world, like a nutrition hy- uh, hydration. Drink, oh no, I've not heard of that. So what's that? Yeah, yeah. Well, it's, it's just like a, you know, like the usual um, endurance nutrition stuff. You know, uh, so it's just a, like a sachet of shake or like a like um, a hydration thing like with electrolytes and all this kind of so I made up a, a tailwind okay. on this on the track and I tried to sip it and for every sip I was just I was throwing it up like what is that that thing where dehydration and heat exhaustion has the same symptoms as poisoning so the body when it starts to recognize those symptoms it just thinks right I'm poisoned expel everything you know just get everything right, out okay. so to, to get something down is really hard and the other thing as well is because your body is fighting so many um, other extremes, like you know, bringing the body temperature down, getting energy to the muscles, getting rid of waste products from the muscles, it doesn't want to put anything in in the stomach because you know that's just something else to deal with. It's like bandwidth yeah. of your internet. You know, your, your body's only got so much. Um, so I, it was just a slow process of trying to get some some nutrition down. We, a couple of people went past me, um, and 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 that was the point when I kind of. I, I came up with this 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 thought process, which I know now called the grit, and I, I now call it the grit analogy. Where I thought I've just I've got to I've got I've got to I've got to keep going, you know. And um, if I sit here, I, I'm going to die. Like <laughs> you know, I'm going to I'm going to slip into yeah, it yeah. because I am sick. The only thing that I can do is just keep moving, you know. So uh, I got myself up and just slowly, slowly just started taking one step after another one step after another but i made it about 200 meters up this this steep side of this um this hill in the middle of the jungle and uh, and i came across my friend who was in exactly the same state as me he couldn't he couldn't keep any water down and all that we basically for a few seconds we were like arms around each other just both like <laughs> communal throwing up you know what i mean just like we've got to do it he's like somehow you know anyway Anyway, um, I, uh, together, I heard a great saying at the weekend with the Rugby League uh, Challenge Cup final. I don't know if anybody watched it, but the, the, a Rugby League legend called Jamie Peacock, and he, he said this phrase called the coalition of the willing. And when you have the coalition of the willing, you know what I mean? It's like a very powerful thing. Now, we both needed to get out of the jungle. We both needed to get, you know, moving forward. And together, you know, we, we started taking one step, one step, one step, and kept going. I, we, we we exchanged nutrition, which again, you know, if anybody's doing like a long race and they find that their stomach is starting to, you know, reject some of the things that they're eating. Oh, right. Quite often, you know, it's because you know, some people might take predominantly sweet, some people might take predominantly savoury. We exchanged yeah. nutrition, right? Which just it was just enough of a difference for us to keep something down. You know, yeah, we had, yeah. Like, I had some of his like um, flapjack bar and all this and. We just got us kind of enough energy to, to kind of keep going. Um, so we kept on going. 
And um, we, we, was, we was pretty close to one of the checkpoints. The checkpoints were every 10, 10 kilometers. We're pretty close. And, um, and I was starting to move a little bit faster than my, my mate, Lee. And um, at the point when I thought I could hear the checkpoint, and I thought, right, he's going to get there, or, if, or I can warn them that he's struggling. So if he, does, yeah. if he doesn't turn up, they can come back. I felt confident enough to leave him. Um, and the fact that he was a no-win, no-fee lawyer, I thought, right, I'll just leave him in the jungle. <laughs> and um, so I went up to the checkpoint and um, I got some water down me and I was starting to, you know, come good again. And I said, look, you know, my, my mate Lee's down there. He's, he's in a bad way. If you don't turn up in sort of 10 minutes, you, can, you go and, can you go and find him? Um, anyway, he was later to be, he wasn't out the race, but there was a long course and a short course and they, they forced him to do the short course because okay. he was kind of out of time. Um and, and I managed to crack on and do the long course. And um, that, another point is that not, nothing is permanent. Even when, when, you're, when you're at your lowest and you think, you know, I'm going to slip into a coma and die here. It, none of it is, per, you know, it, it can't get any worse. You know, it's got to change, like, you know. And yeah. It's just a case of just keep going and keep trying stuff. And, and every endurance race is a series of problems that you've got to solve. Every race, regardless if you're on a bike, if you're on foot, you know, if you're rowing across the the, the ocean, whatever it is, it's just a series of of problems to solve. You know, you've, you've got to become the Swiss Army knife of endurance athletes and be able to solve these problems. You know, um, and I started to feel good, and eventually I got through the lull, the worst, the worst <laughs> endurance stage of my life. Um, and and I remember we, we finished at this weather station. Um, like a research center in the middle of the jungle. And um, unbelievably, there was mobile phone signal, right? Um, unbelievable, right? So um, you can't get mobile phone in the middle of, middle of Manchester. But <laughs> no, in the middle of the You parade, get it in the jungle. Yeah, you get it in the jungle. It's bizarre. Um, and I, there was just enough signal for me to phone my wife. And I'd kind of I'd put the sides on my hammock down. I was in my... In my thing, a friend of mine had given me. When I got back, I was just constantly throwing up. That the race director was like, he later would said to me, "If I didn't know you, I would have pulled you from the race because right. I knew it was you. I knew you'd done, you know, other events, and I, I knew your history and all that. I thought I'll, I'll give you enough rope to hang yourself. <laughs> I thought, Brilliant. <laughs> um, <laughs> And, and and that night, I, I you know I barely managed to eat everything. A friend of mine, Tony, I did the MDS with uh, as well. He gave me um, yeah, he gave, he gave me a hot chocolate or a chicken or a mushroom soup. One of one of the two. And another friend gave me the other one, and I basically just sipped hot chocolate and sipped soup. The only things I could get down, you know, as best I could. And 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 then I managed to phone managed to phone my wife, and I was in tears, you know, because I was just exhausted, but I was still in the race. And um, and hearing my wife's voice was just, it was amazing to hear her voice, but she told me that she'd been tracking me through the jungle. And, okay. um, you know, you, everyone gets like a GPS tracker and, and the, the trackers are notoriously bad. Like, you know, the, the signal is terrible. And uh, my tracker had dropped out. The signal had dropped out on day one. She, she thought I was in a mess from day one, you know, and it suddenly realized, it made me think, you know, all the worry and, and everything that Paula was going through for me to do this race, you know what I mean? All the things that she's had to, to give up for me to do this, you know what I mean? And at the time, I was feeling sorry for myself. And I just thought, you know, everybody has worked hard to get me here, you know, everybody. And 
I owe it to them to give it my best shot, you know? Yeah. So, um, so any thought of me like thinking, oh, I don't know if I can do this because it was a long stage the next day. So it was a double marathon stage, um, 90 odd, 90 odd kilometers. And, um, I thought I, I've just got, I've got to give it my best shot. I, I owe it to them, you know, and it, it's one of the parts and the grit acronym that I'll talk about in a minute. And, um, I kind of put the phone down and I thought, right, what can I actually influence right now? And I thought, well, I can't stomach anything right now. The next day was due to start at four o'clock in the morning. And um, we had a bit of time because it gets dark quite early in the jungle. And as soon as it gets dark, you, you can't do anything. You can't move around. It's too too dangerous. It's, it's pitch black, you know, and um, there's just, yeah. You, you, so you, you get you get quite a bit of sleep. And um, so I thought, what I'm going to do is I'm going to get up two hours before. So I'm going to get up at like two in the morning and I'm going to start my hydration. I'm going to start my nutrition then. So I'm going to rest now and do that. So I set my alarm and um, and th- that was kind of my plan. Two o'clock in the morning just came came like that. <laughs> just, you know, just came so like that. No. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> stolen 12 out, you know, 10 hours of whatever it was for me. Give me back. Um, two o'clock came and I thought, right, I, I've got to peel myself out of this hammock, you know, dress my feet get myself sorted and um and I, and I got myself out of bed and and with my head torch on I was walking around this weather station and all I could see was like frogs and and moths like the most incredible moths you've ever seen you know what I mean just unbelievable and and insects and you know what I mean just there was just it was just teeming teeming with life just absolutely incredible and and I thought you know, you know what? This is not a bad place to be right now. You know, and I might be hurting and aching, but this is this is a great place to be. And um, so I was watching. It was like a, I was watching the all these frogs and moths and all this kind of stuff. And I was I'd got a bit of like um, water, and I was making like hot chocolate and and soup. Uh, I managed to make up some like uh, dehydrated foods, and I was just kind of eating away and a bit of porridge. And I, and I was starting to get the food down me. I thought. You know what? I'm not. I'm not in a bad state here. I, I'm, I'm doing all right. And um, the the start line, you know, four o'clock was getting closer and closer. And you have to pack all your kit up and be ready. And um, come the start line, I thought, I'm up for this line. I, I'm, I'm ready. I'm ready for this. Um, I just need to be. I just need to be sensible, and I, I need to keep my wits about me. But you know, I, I can get through this line. And um, so, as always, it was three to one go, and and off we went. And uh, and I, I was in I was in like the top ten throughout the whole of the whole of the day. Um, after a, after a, about I think it was about ten fifteen kilometers, um, we got into a stage which was basically ten kilometers of walking through a riverbed. So imagine a riverbed it was like you know football sized stones and rocks, and you know you was constantly stumbling, twisting ankles in the water, out the water. You know what I mean? It was just, it was just ridiculous um, for ten kilometers. Like, like, like a one of the videos on my YouTube channel is like, if if a serial killer designed the race, this would be it. You know, it was just evil. <laughs> that, that, that was the only way to describe it was that it was just evil. You know, you bang your your, your toes are already sore, and you bang your toes on the rocks, and you know, it was just ridiculous. But everything. You know, nothing is permanent and everything's got to pass. Like, you know, and that's, so it's just one step. Keep going, keep going, keep going. It's got to change. It's got to pass. Uh, so eventually popped out on a track 
And then you had like the baking heat of the midday sun, you know, and it was just absolutely baking down in you. So um, on, a, on a track with very little jungle coverage where we went. Um, and then, uh, yeah, kept on going. Now, all, for, for the whole day, kept going for the whole day. And then towards the end of the of the day, I got to a checkpoint and they were like, right, okay, this is the second to last checkpoint. And um, you've got a massive hill to get up. And then you drop down the other side and then about 15 kilometers along a road. Okay. And then you're in, you, you end up in this little village and there's all the natives like rah, 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 playing their instruments and drums and all that. And then you're done, you know? Uh, so it's getting really, really close. Um, I went up this hill and as I got to the top of this hill, the sun started to set. It started to get dark. Um, so like I said, no, nobody moves. Even the military, you don't move in the in the night. You, you, you can't. You make too much noise. It's too dangerous. It's so easy to get lost. You know, it's just, you just don't move at night. But it was starting to get dark. And I was like, what am I going to do here? So I got my head torch on. And um, uh, no, before that, as I was coming down, the, the heavens opened up and uh, and I slipped and I landed on my on my back, and um, you know when you like land and you your whole body just shakes. You know what I mean? Like you've just been hit by something, you know. And I was like, oh god! Um, and and unbeknown to me, I I landed on my head torch and cracked my head torch. So I, as it started oh, no. to get dark, I got my head torch out, and I had the head torch didn't work. Nothing. Oh, <laughs> I was like, no. What am I going to do? But every endurance event is a series of problems that you've got to solve, you know. So what do I do? And everybody had to carry the glow stick, you know, that the um, you, you snap them and you get a bit of light. Yeah. So I cracked cracked the glow stick and it gave me. And it's a weird navigating by a glow stick because you've got as much light forward as you have back into your eyes. You know what I mean? Right, okay. Having a head torch that's shining in your eyes and also shining on the road. It just doesn't work. So I was trying to hold it as far away as I could, trying to illuminate as much as I could. And I started to make my way through the jungle, eventually got onto um, the track. And then I was trying to navigate with this, the light from a glow stick through this track. And um, it was this light was just strong enough to pick up the eyes on the side of the road of all the different animals and everything. They're like, fucking up. And the day before, someone had been stalked by the jaguar. You know what I mean? So yeah, I, I must admit, I was getting a little bit, I was getting a little bit nervous here, um, and just kept going, kept going, and and then eventually, I in my head I thought, right, I've got another ten kilometers to do. That's what in my head I was tra- tracking on my watch, thinking another ten k, and I got to this this little um, like minibus, you know, this little tiny little Japanese minibus thing that was in on this junction, and there was a local guy there, and uh, there's like a water stop, and he's like topped up your water, and he went one k. 1k I went oh, 1k wow. I said do you mean 10k and he went no 1k 1k and I was like Whoa. and I was like mate if you're, if you're winding me up mate, yeah I'm, <laughs> I'm coming back and I'm going to fucking strangle you in the middle of the jungle right and and, and he was like no 1k 1k and I was like ah, I don't I don't believe him and then so anyway I talked to my water bottles and I really played I thought no it's 10k and I set my head you know, 10k let's go but yeah. due to his word just down the road i could hear the town i could start to see the lights you know what i mean and and it's unbelievable you know when when you talk about i don't know if anybody has heard or you've talked before about the central governor um uh theory where in our heads we think that fatigue is like um 
is like a physical thing. Like our muscles cannot do any more because of lactic acid and all this kind of stuff. Okay. What we're actually talking about, uh, a guy called Tim Noakes, who does he's done a lot with uh, running, endurance running, and that is that actually we've got a we've got a thing in our brain that recognizes those signals and starts to control our output, and it slows yeah. us down as a protection measure. And they call it the central governing um, theory. So, and and there's no greater proof than the, of this than when you start to get to the end of a race and suddenly it's like, you wave of energy. Like, yeah, you're kicking off the calipers and, and you're just running. You know, I remember running. Through yeah, the yeah, yeah, yeah. The little kids were running alongside me. You know, I mean, you're running in, get to the finish line. You stink after five days living in the jungle. You look like, you know, I don't know, just. It just looked ridiculous. Um, got to the finish line, finished, and I finished eighth in the race. You know, wow. which for me, I was just like, unbelievable, unbelievable. Yeah, yeah. You know? And um, I'd lost a ton of weight. I don't know how much weight because, you know, I didn't have the scales. But I remember I look at pictures at the start where I've got like, it looks like I'm, I'm taking my pillow with me in, in my T-shirt. And I look at the end and I'm, my shorts don't fit. I'll, I'll you know. Remind me, and I'll send you a picture of my shorts. Don't even fit. You know, I've had, I've had to tie them with a bit of string because I've just lost that much weight. Oh, God. Um, wow. So that that was kind of the Jungle Ultra, um, and through that ultra, I, I developed this, this this acronym, this GRIT, which I kind of we said we was going to share. You're all right. I know this is yeah, way, absolutely. Right. Uh, no, 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 no. I'm perfect. Yeah, if I'm moving around, I'm just moving for comfort. I've got as long yeah. as you want. So yeah, carry it's on. Uh, this is great. It's an easy day for you, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, that's it. I can just sit and listen to you chat about amazing stories. It's a tough (laughs) job. (laughs) Someone's got to do it. If I have to be the person, then that's how it is. (laughs) So I come up with this thing, Grit. The the, Grit, it fits really well because um, an author called Angela Duckworth did a study on, you know, what what is the most important factor from anybody that succeeds in time of hardship? And, And she came up with the idea that resilience is the one thing that people need. You know, it's 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 something that in in the snowflake generation, and I don't mean that as like um as like a derogatory thing. You know, people are just not accustomed to hardship anymore. You know, uh, comfort. We just everybody's just so so comfortable now. Even if we think it's horrendous because the pandemic, you know, it, it's not really, is it? You know, or we run out of pasta. Bummer. You know what I mean? Well, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. It's, yeah. it's just. It, Third world compared problem. to living through World War One or World War Two, yeah, it, it exactly. could be worse. Yeah, yeah, it could be a lot worse. So, um, resilience, aka grit, you know. And she she wrote an amazing book called called Grit, um, which is phenomenal for anybody that wants to read it. So my my acronym Grit, I basically identified four steps that I did when I was on that shitty track next to the no win no fee lawyer, and I was like. Right, you know, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna die here. Nobody wants to die with a, a lawyer, and he's from Liverpool. No one wants to die with the scouts. You know, I'm really kidding. My from <laughs> No offense, any, any scouts. Four steps that I always go through. The the first one is the G is get a grip of reality. Okay, what is the reality now it, on the track in that moment? The reality was if I sat still, I may have slipped into unconsciousness. I, you know, something was going to go wrong. I, you know, I had to move. The other reality is that if I sit there, you know, I'm ex- incredibly exposed. And what I mean by that is that there is no help. You know, all right, another runner might come. and But, you know, the idea of getting an ambulance, uh, a helicopter, it just, it just, you know, it wasn't going to happen quickly. Um, I had to move. And other things, reality might be that actually it's a really well-supported race. 
You know what I mean? If, if someone's on like a, a an endurance like mountain bike race or, or whatever, um, it might be that the help is not far away or whatever. You know what I mean? But, but what is the reality of what's actually going on? You know, for me, it was like I know my body's rejecting stuff because of this. You know, I know this. So you know, get a real grip of, of reality. What that does is then it grounds you. You know, you stop coming up with stupid ideas like have I been bit by a snake or, you know what I mean, well, I'm doomed. You know what I mean? I'm, I'm, I'm just not texting my family and telling them I love them and all this stuff. Well, you've got the power. You've got the strength to text your family. You've got the fucking strength to take another step, you know? So, you know, it's really important that you kind of start to get a grip of, of what the reality is. And and another part of that, especially when you're racing, is that nobody should ever really, I know we do sometimes, it's a fine line. You should never really, like, substitute your safety and your well-being for a medal. You know, because life is a little bit more, mm. you know, important than that. Um, it's hard yeah, sometimes yeah. because you, 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 in order to get result, good results, sometimes you've got to be, you've got to be reckless. You know, and there's been times on races and events where I've hundred percent been reckless. Um, and I suppose you don't really know whereabouts on that. Like when you were sat there, you didn't know, right? Am I a couple of hours away from death, or actually, am I all right? And I've got three more days of this, and I'm fine to crack on, but. You don't know, do you? I imagine where you're actually at on that scale. No, no, but you know, you, you've got to, and, and and this is what I'm, my point is. So the reality is, this is a fucking, this is something I'm doing for fun. You know what I mean? Like I'm not cut off behind okay, enemy yeah. lines. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, this is something for fun, and and now I'm starting to affect my health. So you know, the reality is can calm down your nutcase you know what i mean it's so um the next step okay and all of this is a pro because you know everything's a process and we sometimes think oh you know i'm in a real shit way i'll just sort it out it doesn't work like that you know there's got a process that you go through the next one the r is remember remember why so remember why you're there i mean you have to have fun to enjoy the jungle to all this kind of stuff and funny old thing when i was on the track and I started to, you know, I started to look round, and you start seeing like giant caterpillars and the, you know, plant weird plants and all that. It takes your mind off it, and you start, you know, things start getting a little bit better, you know. So remember why, and and then hand in hand with that, remember what others have given up for you to be there, you know, for you to be doing. Now, if anybody that is doing a sport at a good level, or or even you're a real keen amateur. Somebody, unless you're an absolute loner, somebody's got to give up something. You know what I mean? Like your your partner has got to give up time that they'd rather spend with you to allow you to go and race or to ride or to train. Um, they've got to give up, you know, financially to buy a bike. I mean, I know how much how expensive yeah. some of these bikes are and, and, and all that kind of stuff. And there's just a ton of things that other people have got to do in order for you to do what you're doing. So think about that because mm. you know. That might just be the thing that that gets you off your ass and keeps you moving again, because yeah, you're, you're like, a lot like more me. for others often. Yeah, exactly. You know, yeah. in times when when things are shit, you, you become very insular. You know, but actually, if we can turn it out and have a look externally at what other stuff is doing, or what other people are doing, it can help to kind of give you that little bit of extra push or whatever. Yeah, the absolutely. I, the eye is influence what you can. So there was a ton of stuff that I couldn't influence. You know, I wish I could have just clicked my fingers and brought my heart rate down. You know, I wish I could have thought, well, I need to slow down at the start and hydrate more. It's too late. 
you know, I can no longer influence that. I can only influence sort of moving forward, you know, and, and influence right now. Um, and it's good to sort of think about, okay, what can I actually influence? Because like I said a couple of times, it's just a series of problems for you to solve, you know? So, so what can you do? You know, is it a case of sitting tight until your stomach settles down? Is it a case of changing nutrition? Is it a change of, you know, trying something else? Um, the, the, you know, the, there's always going to be something. Is it a case of like, well, let's let's try and cool down a bit or or whatever. But, you know, really think about what you can actually influence right now. Um, and, you know, a classic is if you start, if you start to get like a, an ache or a pain, say you're, you're, you're pedaling along and then you get like a minor tear in your calf um, or a strain in your hamstring, like, you know, what can actually influence that? Well, you could perhaps put a bit of tape on it and, you know, take the edge off it. Or you could maybe adjust your saddle height and maybe that just takes the strain off it a little bit. Or um, one of the things, if we get people that have got like damaged calves and we put them on an exercise bike, we'll pe- pedal from your heel. Now that is probably shocking technique in the mountain bike world, but it allows them to keep going because they're pedaling through the heel, yeah. not through the, the, you know, the ball of the foot and it takes the strain. You know, what can you actually influence right now? Um, and then the T. And in some respects is the most important thing is just take one more step, you know, one more step because every journey is a series of small steps, you know? So if you can take one more step and just think one more step, one more step, even if it's arm in arm with your mate or whatever it is, just, just, just keep, keep moving, you know, because that's, that's really, you know, what, what it's all about uh, in these, in these events and that. So, so that's my little acronym grit, which I always bear in mind, you know, when I'm, I'm doing these events. And that's so absolutely that's- applicable to all areas of life. Like it doesn't just have to be a mad event. It doesn't have to be a bike ride or a run. Like if you apply that to everything that's going on in the world at the moment, like it's massively applicable to that as well. I think one thing that maybe is a sticking point for a lot of people is you don't always know what's around the corner. So take uh, Corona at the moment. You don't know, is it going to be next February that everything's going to be all right? Or is it going to be February 2022 or 25? Nobody knows. And I think often what people can do in that situation is freeze. So with your example, when you were sat by the side of the jungle, if you'd have known that round your corner, you were going to bump into your mate, you were going to swap some food and you were going to get through together, you probably wouldn't have felt not that you did, but you wouldn't have felt as helpless in that situation because you know what's around the corner. And I think that can sometimes be a sticking point where people freeze where they are and because they can't see ahead and they don't know what's going to happen, they'll often stop. And then it's only afterwards that you think, oh, I should have carried on really. But I think you know, what you said there, particularly like the I and the T of that, like focus on what or figure out what you can influence at the moment so what can you actually influence now because it's so easy to focus on the government locking down your location or this or that or the other whereas actually if you focus on what you personally can influence that's all you've got control over that's all you can do and then taking the next step i think is hugely important and um, i totally yeah. agree yeah and, and and you're right you know humans the way that the human mind is developed it is incredible you know we, we but it's also possibly our biggest achilles heel because we as humans, we've developed a thing called the imagination, you know, and mm. other other animals that don't have it, they, they're, they're in the moment, you know, they just don't have an imagination. And when you think about worry, well, worry is just a misuse of your imagination. You know, you're, you're conjuring up things that probably are never going to happen. You know, and they, they interview people on their deathbed and think, you know, 
what, what was your biggest worries in life? And it, it turns out that they're worried about stuff that never, ever happened. Like the large proportion, yeah, yeah. you know what I mean? And we do this all the time. And some people worry more than others. Um, but that, that's an imagination. That's an incredible thing because what do you need to solve problems? Well, you need, mm. you need the imagination, you know? <laughs> Just using it in the wrong way, you know? Everything yeah. is a tool. Fear is a tool. You know, imagination is a tool. Worry is a tool. So, yeah. you know, and it's just kind of having the ability to go, right, what, how, what is the best way to use this right now? In a time when, you, when emotions are charged, and that's what makes it hard, um, your emotional brain is obviously much more powerful than your logical brain. But if you can just steal enough seconds to allow logic to kick in, you, you can, it can be a really powerful thing. Uh, and we worry about stuff. And where this actually came from is as in human evolution, when we started to live in colonies and started to farm, you know, we used to wander around and do whatever we did. But then we said, why, listen, why go looking for food? Let's sit here and fucking grow the food. We never need to walk yeah. anywhere. You know what I mean? But the problem with that is it was then like, what happens if the rain doesn't come? You know what I mean? What happens if our food that we've planted doesn't grow? Ah, yeah. well, what we need to do is we need to start collecting water. What if we don't get enough water? Well, we need to make sure we've got, you know, and we develop this ability to worry. And, and here we are now. Uh, but the problem is you, you, we don't live in the wild anymore, you know? Of course, yeah. Um, um, and it's one of those things, like, I think you've got to not necessarily worry, but you have to think what are the negative possibilities. Like when you mentioned before you were setting up your new business. So it's very powerful to think, right, what do I need to do right? But then also what are the potential sticking blocks? Because when you are mountain biking and you're riding along a cliff and you look to your side and you're like, that's a pretty big fall. What if I go down there? You can't get obsessed with what if I slip on that route or what if I go headfirst over that drop or what if I break my arm? Because when you do that, you make it more likely to happen. But it does also pay to be aware of it because when you're aware of whatever the possible negative consequences are, you can then plan for them and sidestep them. I think it's when, and I'm sure you agree, it's when it goes too far and you just end up worry, 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 and that actually becomes a negative thing because you're so focused on all the potential negative outcomes that you don't do the G of what you just said, which is, you know, the getting a grip of the current situation and, right, what's the reality of it? So, yeah, here are the possible negative outcomes, here are the possible positive outcomes, and then what is actually the reality of it because the reality is you're probably not going to slip on that route and break your arm even if you do slip on that route chances are 99 crashes out of 100 you might get a few bruises like it's only very rare you really hurt yourself um and i think often you can just let that run away with yourself and end up worrying far more than than we ever need to so i think it can be a positive as long as it doesn't go too far and get away from us yeah and the other thing with with worry and, and fear is just remembering what, what it feeds on and and fear feeds on time. Now, the more time you give something, the, the, the stronger it gets, the, the worse it gets. You know what I mean? So, you know, don't don't give it time and, and just get it going. It's it's funny because, you know, there's no greater example of of like fixating on potential problems than when you're actually riding a bike and you you're careering towards something at pace. And you're like, don't hit the tree, don't hit the tree. And you're like, you can't <laughs> pedal away from the tree. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah, like, yeah. And then eventually you're like, I knew it. I knew I was going to hit that I was... <laughs> I was talking to a client. <laughs> I was talking to a client of mine yesterday who's a new mountain biker, and she was talking. We were talking about she thought she had to improve her reaction time, and then when we chatted about it a little bit more, she was saying that she spots stuff fifty meters out. It might be a rock, and she says she sees it getting closer at fifty meters, and then forty, 
and then 30 <laughs> and then 20 and then she hits it and she doesn't react <laughs> so i was telling her i was like right it's not your reactions you need to but <laughs> yeah. literally for her it's just lack of you become so yeah yeah exactly yeah you she because she was becoming so fixated on the rock that you tend to go on a bike where you're looking and i suppose that's the same as a metaphor for life really like you go where you're looking so if you're staring at that rock and you keep looking at it your front wheel ends up hitting it so you need to be aware of that rock but then look at your actual line next to the rock and that's where the bike will then go and you could really say that's a bit of a metaphor for for life in general like be aware of the obstacle but don't become so focused on it that you head for it you've got to be aware of the obstacle and plot your path around it yeah it's, it's, it's interesting how the um how the brain works as well like the, the, the brain won't process a negative so if, when you see okay. wet paint don't touch what you want to do <laughs> You want to touch it. <laughs> Keep off the grass. What do you want to do? You want to, you know what I mean? So, and, and the brain works in exactly the same way. So when we say tree, don't hit it, mm. it deletes the don't. So in your brain, yeah. you're going tree, hit it, tree, hit it, tree, yeah. hit it. And then you're like fighting. Like, <laughs> someone got hold of my handlebars. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. And you're in, you know. I knew it. Because that's the other thing you do, isn't it, as well. You know what I mean? We we knew it. I proved myself right. <laughs> another function of the brain is to is to confirm what's going on, you know. So, um, yeah, yeah. So so the key point there is instead of going, don't hit the tree, you, what you need to be thinking is the positive spin on that, which is, stay in stay on the track or you know yeah. whatever it is you know follow the the, the line follow the racing line yeah. whatever it is uh, so then and it's, it's like you know i work in the in the weight loss industry so people all the time are saying to themselves don't eat cake don't eat cake now how the brain works is like eat cake eat cake and the brain it can it can look to confirm that up to five times a second so five times a second they're going am i eating cake yet i'm eating cake yet i'm eating cake yet you know, right, but if what? they put a positive spin on that and go eat apple, yeah, cake's not even it's not even part of it. So now five times a second, the brain's going, "I'm eating apple yet. I'm eating apple yet." You know what I mean? It's just a subtle change. Yeah, but yeah. The way the brain works, it's just you know, so so powerful. So I'll often uh, I imagine you do something similar, like with nutrition kind of coaching with your clients. But I'll often a lot of people often focus on what they need to cut out. So right, I'm going to cut out sugar, or I'm going to cut out cake, or I'm going to cut out this, or I'll cut out that, and I'm not allowed any alcohol this week. And instead, yeah. you're much better swapping it for something else. So like you said there, if you want to eat less cake, rather than focusing on eating less cake focus on what you're going to eat instead so you know if you want to go from a latte don't think right i'm not having a latte think right i'm going to have a black americano so you're swapping it out instead and focusing what you can have so yeah i think that's a really good tip i agree yeah any any habit is the same you know it's hard to to stop a habit it's much easier to to change a habit you know so um yeah yeah good where do we go from here then <laughs> I thought it might be nice. We're going to have to do episode three and four and five. I know, yeah, We're going to have to make yeah, this like yeah. a, <laughs> a series. Like a every couple series. of months. We need to get it back on. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. It, yeah, yeah. The wild, uh, the wild uh, events that you've done. <laughs> I thought it might be really nice for maybe the last 10, 15 minutes or whatever it is. Is uh, to leave. I think people are going to leave this podcast feeling inspired. And I think one thing when I'm sat here listening to your chat is that it puts the ride that I'm going to go on this afternoon for two or three hours into perspective. <laughs> and I think when you're going up the climbs or whatever, or when it starts to rain and you feel like you're being pretty hardcore, like it's nowhere near as, as hardcore as, as it can be. And I think what 
people listening to this podcast will get from that is perspective. Um, I'm going to go off on a tangent here, but I did a 24-hour ride last September. So I was actually meant to do it in July, I think it was. And then I ended up breaking my wrist three weeks before. And on the, the, uh, the day of... Yeah, <laughs> the day of the event when I should have been doing my 24 hour ride, I was actually getting my wrist operated on and getting a nice scar down the side of it. So I got the cast off in September, and then two or three weeks later, I did the 24 hour ride. And it was funny, really, because um, a lot of the stories that you've told, my my ride was a lot less hardcore than yours. There was definitely no uh, no Jaguars. <laughs> um, <laughs> but as you were doing it, it was funny because 24 hours was like the longest that I'd ever done any kind of exercise for. And in the middle of the night, I was exhausted. Like I was really tired. Like my eyes kept going. I just kept dosing up on caffeine. And, but then when it came to like the last 15, 20 minutes and I was on the final lap, like exactly what you said before, you got this big rush of energy and I ended up sprinting over the line and I felt like I could have carried on. So it's really interesting how your mind does play tricks on you. And what you said there about limiting yourself, like I think is it horses that will literally just run until they die. So they don't have that protective mechanism where they know the muscles are getting tired. You could literally run a horse to death and it will just go and go and go and go and go until it dies, whereas we don't have that. So... I think most people listening to this on the weekend ride aren't going to be going for five like five days through the jungle. But what it can teach you, I think, is that when you're on a climb or if you're doing a 20-mile ride and you get to 50, mile 15 and you're feeling pretty tired or you've got one more hill and you're thinking, oh, I really can't do that, you can do that. You're just you're feeling a bit tired, but your body has actually got loads more in it. Um, but that was just some thoughts I was having whilst you were talking about your mad time through the jungle. But what I did think it'd be nice to finish on would be for you to give people some practical tips of how they can deal with going through the world as it is at the moment. So you've kind of got mixed camps. Like you've got some people who aren't particularly worried about it, who see it as like everything that's going on right now is an inconvenience and they're not overly anxious or stressed about it. Right down to the other side of it, and there's people who won't leave the home, they won't go to shops, they won't go to cafes the feeling like it's never going to end and that life's never going to be normal and it's changed forever uh, and you know some people are feeling really down and whatnot i think the suicide rates are up 200 percent over the last few months so you know it's really serious and chances are the people who are listening to this podcast uh, who are feeling down and depressed and are really struggling at the minute probably won't be typing in the group that they're feeling upset or they won't be talking to people about it so to give those people a little bit of advice you might be listening now uh for those who you should have listened to episode one now those listening but if you haven't craig's literally been in the lowest of lows and was suicidal at one point so i'd just like some tips from you really for the audience who may be feeling anxious overwhelmed worried stressed out with everything that's going on in the world like what are your what are your views on it and what are some real practical things that people can do to to get through it and to feel better i know you've covered a lot through what we've just talked about in the past hour but yeah, what, what what would you say? I think um, listening to stuff like this is going to help. You know, getting out on your bike is definitely going to help. Uh, I want to use sort of a bit of an analogy, and, and it's hard to do on a podcast really, but imagine you have imagine you have a bit of a str- bit of string and um, and your goal is to push the string up to the ceiling. Okay, so as you start pushing the string up, what, te- what happens is the string through gravity starts to come back on itself. Um, and this is a lot of people as they're going through life. And I think back to the time when, you know, I was very, very close to to topping myself and uh, was, you know, very, very depressed and anxious. And I still have days when I, I'm a little bit down. Um, you know, I don't think it ever truly 
leaves you. Everybody has it. Um, but the key point is, whilst ever we're trying to push our way through life, we tend to just sort of come back and revisit old stuff and we kind of live in the past, you know? And uh, and there's a lot of talk at the minute about the new normal, which suggests how it used to be. Oh, do you remember when you could go shopping? And, and, it, and that's the past, like, that's done, you know? Um, and the more that we live in the past, the more the more we worry, the more we anxious, the more we don't sort of picture a future and all this kind of stuff. And the, 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 the um, inverse of that is to hold the front of the string and pull it up, you know, and then the, the, the string just goes straight up. It doesn't come back on itself. Now, it's a really simple analogy, but what it suggests is that if we have a bright future, that will pull us through life. This is why I put big challenges in my life, because if there's something I can focus on that is bigger than my past, then all I'm thinking about is is forward. And the, they, whoever they is, did a study where they looked at people that was terminally ill and the people that had the mindset that they were doomed, nothing they did was going to change anything. They died much sooner than the people that wow. thought, you know what, I'm going to live to the best of my ability. You know, I, I might not have long left, but I can I can certainly celebrate what you know my life and, and all this. They started doing challenges and all this kind of stuff. They lived significantly longer. And, and, and there's probably a whole load of reasons for that. One is... In, in the weight loss, health, and fitness industry, is that you start you start making different choices. Like if you think, "Well, I'm dead tomorrow," you don't give a shit about the ten pints you're going to drink, or the burger you're going to eat, or you know the, the, the crap food you're going to eat. Now, obviously, that's going to speed up your, your death, you know. But if you think, you know what, I'm whatever I've got in the future, I'm going to I want to live as long as I can. I want it to be really positive. You make better choices, you know. And and uh, yeah, talking about food and and drink and stuff like that, start off with, but there's a if you look at lockdown um I've, I've certainly seen like a polarization of people there's people who have gone i went to uh rugby training the other night and there's a guy there and conversations in the past is like i'll always be big you know i've always been overweight i've just met him out he's lost four stone during lockdown oh you know? so and, and he had this belief that he couldn't lose weight so he, he thought right okay i'm gonna use this time in a positive way blah 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 and then i meet other people that are just they're sick and unwell because they've gone, we're doomed, you know what I mean? I'm going to get rid of COVID anyway. It's only a matter of time, you know, before I tap out and, and that's it. And, and their, you know, their eating habits and drinking habits, lifestyle, it's just become worse and it's definitely polarised people. Mm. So, you know, I think there's a, there's a ton of messages for people to, to pick out and what I will do is I want to just plant a little seed that next next ride people go on. They, they think about this. They think about, you know, how do I make my, my future so bright that it, it far outshines any any trauma in my past or any problems that I've had in the past. You know, how do I make it so attractive that it pulls me through life and I'm not just constantly cycling back round? And don't get me wrong, you know, it is not it's not a switch that you flick and hallelujah, you know, everything's great. <laughs> it, it doesn't work like that, but just a constant effort. And if you can have four days out of seven where you're thinking future, you know, let's just have a bright, bright, big thing. You know, soon it can become five days out of seven and then it becomes six days and then it might just be, you know, 29 days out of 30 and you just have one shitty day a month and that's fine. Grab a duvet, get yourself a hot chocolate and sit and watch bloody Christmas movies or whatever. But, you know, the, the, the key message is that the majority of your time can be positive. Um, mm. Hopefully, off the, off the, you know, off the top of my head, hopefully that has a benefit to people. 
Absolutely, I think that's huge. I think there's a lot of lessons you can take out of everything you were saying earlier, like running through the jungle. Um, just what you mentioned there, because I think one thing as part of all of this that's massively helpful is perspective. So it's easy to feel really sorry for yourself at the minute because you've got to stay indoors. Or give you an example. So me and my girlfriend are off normally. She's a teacher. So every half term, we normally work hard for five to seven weeks, whatever it is. Then we go away for three to five nights, something like that. So we normally do like a city break abroad or something like that. Whereas at the minute we can't go abroad for obvious reasons so we're looking at where we can go in england and it's kind of like oh i wish we could go abroad but in reality like it could be a it could be like could be so much worse and there's kind of a reminder actually there's a guy who lives on my street i'm always out cleaning my car i'm a bit of a car nut so twice a week i'm out giving my car like a big two hour wash and i get heckled by all the neighbors <laughs> and there's this one guy who lives just <laughs> oh you're out again screaming out loud <laughs> so um there's a guy who lives about three doors up from me and the loveliest guy ever like all he ever does is ask questions about you or like you know compliment how nice the car's looking and ask after Sophie and he's the nicest guy ever we only moved here about six months ago and then I found out recently that he's actually got terminal cancer so he's got it in I think seven parts of his body and he's been told he isn't going to recover he's got anywhere from six months to x amount of time to live but at some point the cancer's going to kill him and like every time you chat to him it's like uh it gets you kind of like emotional after it because he's so positive and he, he doesn't have the energy. He's going through chemo at the moment, really intensive chemo, and he doesn't have the energy at the minute to, he used to be into mountain biking and cycling and running and everything like we are really. Um, and he doesn't have the energy at the minute to do that with his chemo, but the doctors have said he can walk. So five times a day, no matter what the weather, it can be rainy, it can be windy, it can be sunny, it can be anything. He's up and down the street walking with his wife and he's just incredibly positive. And every time I see him like in chat to him, him and he's always asking about other people he's he's so positive i think really like I'm, I'm going away in england with my girlfriend i'm pretty sure he would like to be 27 and going away with his partner like you've got to focus on the positives there's always somebody in a much worse position so even for those listening if you are like you know getting upset with everything that's going on or you're struggling with everything that's going on it's better than having terminal cancer and having a few weeks to live like for him you can really tell he never moans about the weather it can be lashing it down and you know it'd be oh lovely day isn't it because <laughs> for him like it really is a lovely day because he's loving feeling the rain on his hands and he's loving holding his wife's hand because he knows that he, he doesn't know how long he's going to be able to do it and he's eating really well he's exercising as much as he can he's staying as positive he can just to extend his life and the quality of his life as much as i can as he can and for me i like i'm, I'm a generally positive person anyway like I, I focus on the positives um a lot of what you've said I think I have a similar kind of mindset but if he can stay so positive and so smiley and so happy I'm sure he has his down days then me and you and everybody listening to this even if you know god forbid you've got something like that going on in your life you can stay positive as well the, yeah as you're talking there another another tip well, I often talk to people that are doing like their first endurance event or whatever and one of the things I'll always talk them about is to is to swap out the word have to get. So an example of that is instead of going, oh, I have to run 10 miles. Yeah. If you I change it, I, I get to run 10 miles. Well, then now that's, you know, that that's a bloody privilege. You know, I yeah. have to, I have, you know, I've only got, I have to do all my outdoor time in one hour a day. Like get to do one hour a day outside. You know what I mean? Like yeah. my, my little brother locked down in a tiny flat in London, barely, yeah. barely left the flat throughout the whole. You know, and it's it's a slight change. Language is an incredibly powerful thing. I know you've had uh, Phil Quirk, who 
one of my mentors and you know he does incredible work on here before um there's another guy phil kelly uh, they both used to work together they've gone separate ways now but um immense and they're constantly you know talking about language and the power of language so um mm. yeah change your halves to get i have to go and help my grand no you get to go and help your grand because you know what yeah. she's not around you know she's not gonna be around for long you know and yeah it's uh it's a powerful powerful thing to to do yeah so so true and i think that is a pretty positive note to end if this hasn't helped uplift people and leave people feeling a little bit more positive then we'll have to try harder in episode three (laughs) (laughs) yeah Uh, yeah, just look forward in in episode three i um a couple of things back end of last year i went out to kenya to do a a, um an ultra in kenya through the five biggest game reserves in kenya and i I had to be helicoptered out Uh, i had seven liters of, of fluid um, because I was really, really ill. Um, so that was that. I had all sorts of like flashbacks. I won't spoil it too much um, because I kind of, I, I passed out and then woke up surrounded by black and what looked like militia, but there was the wildlife rangers. So uh, yeah, a ton of stuff going on there. Uh, I then went out to the Arctic and ran to the Arctic Circle um, and came came fifth in the event. So I'll talk about that. And then I've got a couple of other events that I'm, I'm getting ready for now it's funny you say about horses i've just been invited to race a horse next weekend <laughs> wow. literally before this podcast i got a text saying would do you want to race a horse <laughs> and i was like <laughs> tell me more so um, yeah, lo- loads of stuff going on so uh yeah i look forward to it sounds like it so the people who are so glad to finally be able to close all the loops from episode <laughs> one to get the end. listen yeah. we've just opened up a lot more now sorry everybody <laughs> it's like the ever going uh like sitcom that always ends on a cliffhanger yeah. isn't it yeah well we'll make sure it's not 18 months before the next one i'd say maybe in like a couple of months something like that we'll uh definitely hook up and get episode three on because yeah, yeah the audience love it and i'm fascinated by the story so the time goes like that <laughs> amazing yeah thanks a lot uh, youtube how can people find you i know you said that you've been pushing youtube at the moment or putting a lot of content on youtube so do they search your name what what do they search yeah they can search um craig williams on uh, on youtube i've got a couple of different channels for different business stuff like that but i'll make sure that the actual the proper link for that channel is um i'll, I'll pass it on to you matt and you can put it in the yeah, show perfect. Note or whatever put it in the description yeah and yeah, it's, just, that's it's great. just something that i do for um a, a bit of fun really i, I quite enjoy doing the little videos uh so uh yeah yeah i'll make sure, That'd be I'll make sure i send the link and if people want to check out your kind of boot camp business and come and stay with you to have you them uh you beasting them for x amount <laughs> of time what, what's the website details for that if you can tell us now and i will pop it in the description as well yeah so it's just team hyphen boot camps so team dash boot camp um, team is an acronym and we we teach you to eat uh, think eat and move better and that's uh, that's kind of the way we we go at stuff perfect so people can check out that as well well thanks so much again craig i'm sure everybody's itching for episode three again already and, uh, i'll see you soon for the next one <laughs> yeah. thank you so much thanks matt take care cheers greg <laughs>